This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to Mind Love, episode 261. Today's episode is all about how to talk, listen, and interact better through conscious conversations. When we're kids, we adopt these opinions of our elders or our parents or our teachers unknowingly because you know they, they have power and we give their voice power. And then we end up adopting stories as individuals, you know, are we carrying stories that are harming us? And then to realize where are these stories coming from and do I want to give them power or not give them power, right? If you enter into a conversation with your friend, you might find that she has a very different idea standard about how she would approach something like this. And so standards are this in every conversation, in every judgment we have. There's an underbelly there of why am I making that judgment based on what belief or what underbelly of what's right and wrong am I holding that is mostly unconscious. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. If this is your first time giving your mind a little love, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. Mind love is a habit, and the more you give your mind that love and intention, the better you'll feel about yourself and your life. Plus, it's really a win-win because more subscribers means mind love attracts even more amazing guests to bring you their wisdom. So don't forget to subscribe. Today, I'm really happy to share an unexpected interview from one of my guests that is from an episode that has not yet aired. But she said, as an animal communicator, I frequently get media requests, but rarely say yes. When an invite came from Melissa, I looked into Mind Love and noticed the delectable, tool-oriented structure of her podcast. I found myself thinking, oh, I wanna listen to that one, or I bet this podcast would be really helpful for me. So I decided to say yes. It turned out to be one of the most pleasurable media experiences I've had to date. Mind Love won Best Podcast of the Year in the 2022 Quill Podcast Awards. If you listen to an episode, I think you'll understand why. Oh, this was such a pleasure to get. I love connecting with my guests. It's one of my favorite parts of the day, just getting to talk to inspiring people. So Ellen, if you're listening, thank you. Thank you for taking the time to write this review. And I can't wait for your episode to air. Let me ask you a question. How often do you feel frustrated after a conversation? Maybe you and your partner keep ending up on different pages, or work projects aren't as efficient as they could be, or you can't seem to get through to your kids, or maybe you just have a whole internal dialogue going on that doesn't exactly match what you're saying on the outside. I have someone in my life like this. She'll vent to me about something or someone over the phone and I'll ask, well, have you voiced any of this to that person you're actually frustrated with? Well, no. I feel like I bring a lot of awareness to my conversations, both inner and outer dialogue. But then I'll find myself in a miscommunication anyways. Or I'll feel myself getting tense. Or I'll just sacrifice what I actually want because the other person didn't understand. For some reason, I do this all the time when I'm getting massages. 
I like it deep and hard and also get your mind out of the gutter, but not to the point that I'm crying. I mean, still get your mind out of the gutter. Real specific though, I know. But for some reason, if I manage to tell them to go harder, but then they go too hard, I cannot get myself to say, a little softer than that, please. I'll literally be wincing in pain and panting (laughs) and just acting like I'm cool. Why? I don't know. But it's most apparent in marriage. When you have a hundred conversations a day with the same person, you are bound to notice patterns more quickly than with someone that you only talk to once every few months. One thing my husband and I have noticed is that often when we get in a disagreement, we are fighting about two different things. He's fighting about the original thing and I'm fighting about the way he handled me bringing it up. (laughs) The thing is, we each have so many conversations per day that we don't think about them much. Think about it. When you try something new, your first thought is usually to figure out how to do it. So you might look some stuff up or ask someone. But if you've been doing something for your whole life, it's easier to just keep doing what you've always done. So you end up listening half-heartedly, reacting emotionally, and responding habitually, like you're on autopilot. But what if you stopped and asked, how can I do this better? What am I losing by not being fully connected when I'm engaged with someone? What depths is this relationship lacking because I'm not fully understanding the other person or they're not understanding me? So today we're learning to have more conscious conversations. And our guest is Chuck Wisner. He is a highly sought after thinker, coach, and teacher in organizational strategy, human dynamics, and leadership communication excellence. He has spent 25 years as a consultant to leaders in high profile companies like Google, Apple, and Tesla. And his methods are anchored in years of leading-edge research, theoretical development, and the practical application of conversations. He's also the author of The Art of Conscious Conversations, Transforming How We Talk, Listen, and Interact. So three key things we will learn are how our brains, egos, awareness, and autopilot patterns serve or thwart our conversations, how to investigate the stories we tell ourselves and deconstruct our own opinions and the four universal types of conversations and how to maximize the effectiveness of each. And if this is your first time giving your mind a little love, I have a few goodies for you. First, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And second, sign up for the Morning Mind Love. Think of it like a weekday oracle from your highest self to help you start each day with a positive focus. Plus, you'll get two gifts absolutely free, a 30-minute binaural meditation and 30 days of journaling prompts to help you remember who you truly are. So join over 9,000 people and go to mindlove.com to sign up or text the word MORNING to 33777. And now let's welcome Chuck Wisner to the show. Thank you. Thanks for the invitation. So what woke you up to the need of having more conscious conversations? Well, that's a big question. (laughs) (laughs) I, you know, I think I've always had sort of a spiritual philosophical interest, sort of gravity pulling me that way from when I was very, very young. But one thing that sort of woke me up is I had a, partner that was not uh, that uh, I was an architect and I had one of the partners was became an alcoholic or was drinking too much and when we grew to be a mid-sized firm that became a problem for our clients and our and our uh, employees 
And we, we didn't know what to do. We were smart, but dumb architects as far as people stuff. And um, so we hired in some help and burned through two useless consultants. And then we hired in a, a, a woman who came in and really helped us navigate this whole mess and got us to the other end. And what she did was like, seemed like magic to me. It's like, how, how'd she do that? <laughs> and that sort of struck a chord. Like it sort of was like my mind and my heart were going, what's going on here? And so we became friends and uh, did a little work together. And slowly I started retooling myself and educating myself. And because I was so drawn to what she did, which was really like, how did she help us navigate this difficult relationship have the conversations we needed to have, and then, you know, get us at a a better endpoint for the future. And so I studied the ontology of language, and it just became fascinating to me and launched uh, a whole new part of my life. That's a great story. I love the little, you know, the arts of conversation. There's little tricks that we can do that often will completely change the way somebody responds to us. So I've gone down that rabbit hole with different books. And and a lot of times it's like, well, frame something this way instead of framing it this way. Or one of my favorites that I use of of just getting people to agree to something is like, Mm -hmm. is saying something like, would you be open to instead of like, can you do this? (laughs) Or or I remember reading a trick years ago, like, how hard would I have to pull your arm to do this? <laughs> and since it's not like a, and so I love those little things and I'm always interested in going deeper because it seems like there's so many, I mean, there's so many directions our conversations can go. Right. And so when you think of what a conscious conversation is, what exactly is it in comparison to maybe a conventional conversation? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we live in conversation. I mean, we're like, in, in my book, I say we're like fish we're like fish in water. We're in conversations. Most of the time, things are going going really well, and there's no problem. But then we hit a bump, or we hit, you know, or we're triggered by something someone else says, and that that that's when you know those triggers then are emotional reactions, and then when we say things we don't want to say, and all that kind of stuff. So for me, the conscious conversation thing is twofold. One is to be m- more aware of how conversations work and why they work. And when I studied the ontology of language, that was an eye-opener for me because I didn't realize, I didn't understand the power of language and words and conversations and the impact they had, much less sort of their DNA and how they, how they work and unfold and how we can do them better. So there's that piece of saying understanding conversations better. And then the second piece is harder in a way because it's now we got it. Now how do we practice that stuff? How do we put that stuff into practical, everyday situations where we can rethink how we enter a conversation or we can reflect on how we responded and could we do it differently. It is such a good point to point out because so often I'll learn a framework and then I'll be like, I'm an expert in this now, go out in the real world and I have no idea how to apply it. (laughs) And I will say that learning to really reflect on my own reactions and my triggers, the way I handle things has mm-hmm. actually been more eye-opening than any of the things <laughs> that I have learned that I have like no. educated myself in books. But you refer to conversations more as storytelling. Why is that? Well, if, if we think about it, every conversation you're in, you are the common denominator. 
right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you might have conversations with a great friend, you might have conversations with an enemy, but across that spectrum, you're the common denominator. And so the first work that we have to do to become more conscious of our conversations or better conversationalists is to realize that we we live through stories and we identify through stories. So our ego is based on stories about ourselves, what we can do, what we can't do. And all those things we adopted or, you know, just sort of unconsciously sort of believed through our families and our cultures and all those things. So this notion of, of, of understanding, looking at the stories we believe, the stories we hold and the stories we tell is a really great first step to first appreciate the ones that do us, do, do us, serve us, and then to really take, be willing to have the courage to look at the ones that are doing harm to us. And so that's that, that self piece. And then when we enter into conversations with others, now we have stories that, and perspectives and opinions that are like tops spinning, you know, maybe the tops are in sync, but often the tops get out of sync and they go, you know, they bang into each other and go crashing around. And those conversations also is the idea that this is, these are very personal, very, um, sometimes hard, hard wired opinions that are the stories that actually create those, those conversations with other people. I feel like marriage has been (laughs) probably (laughs) the biggest tool for me in becoming better at conversations because nobody wants to have a difficult marriage. (laughs) And that's the primary thing you're doing in marriage is talking to each other. (laughs) So (laughs) you start to realize, well, this is a pattern that's popping up or why did I get so bristly with this topic, but not the last one or why do I feel right. like it's okay for me to say something to this person, but when they say something in the same range, yeah. I f- fire back? I'm so what are some of the ways that, yeah. that our brains and our egos and our awareness and autopilot patterns thwart our conversations? We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family or you have a work deadline or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. He has a PhD in counseling and has been sitting with hurting people for 20 years. He shares practical advice for everything from how to connect with people, how to face depression, overcome anxiety, and learn just what it means to be well. But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. And now for another episode of lies we've been told about our health. We've all heard we need eight glasses of water a day, right? Well, hydration isn't actually about water intake. It's about the balance of water and electrolytes so that our bodies are actually absorbing the water instead of just passing it through. A lot of people go for those sugary sports drinks, but let's be real, those do more harm than good. I've found a better solution. 
Element. It's a zero-sugar electrolyte drink that's all about effective hydration. Each pack gives you essential electrolytes like sodium and potassium without the unnecessary additives found in other drinks. The team behind Element includes experts in biochemistry and nutrition, so they really know what they're doing. And it's not just for everyday use either. Elite athletes and teams, Olympic weightlifters, CrossFit champions, Navy SEALs, all rely on it too, which to me says a lot about its effectiveness. Here's what makes them really unique. They recently launched a hot chocolate line with flavors like chocolate mint, chocolate chai, and chocolate raspberry. Ever since I went alcohol-free, I've been really intentional about luxurious, health-focused drinks so I can sit back and unwind while actually doing good for my body. And the Element Chocolate Chai is great for relaxing in the evening or warming up after winter sports. And you can try Element totally risk-free. If you don't like it, you'll get your money back, no questions asked. Receive a free Element sample pack with any order when you purchase through drinkelement.com slash mindlove. That's drinklmnt.com slash mindlove to get a free starter pack with any order. So what are some of the ways that our brains and our egos and our awareness and autopilot patterns thwart our conversation? Well, for one, if we, if we just talk about our egos, we all have stories about ourselves. We all have an identity. And I don't know if you're familiar with something called voice dialogue, but we all have sub-personalities that we adopted when we were growing up, like either the hurt child or the, or the procrastinator or the perfectionist. We have that, this bag of sort of egos and personalities. And so one, the first thing we can do is begin to become better observers of ourselves in that way. And one way I like to think about that is just begin to be a better observer of your inner dialogue. So like when something happens and is there a pattern around certain events or certain people that you could actually name and, and then work with, right? So there's that sort of awareness piece of what we're made of. And then once you have that, you can start becoming a much keener, sort of much better tracker of what, what I, like to, I, I like to call our autopilot reactions patterns. And most of us didn't choose our patterns. They come out of our families, history, the part, the, how we fit into the family, the cultures, the religions. So we have these patterns and I like pattern, the naming them patterns because it's less judgmental. You know, instead of beating ourselves up, oh God, I did it again. I walked away from that conversation or, or said something to my wife I shouldn't have said. So it's like when I say, wow, that's an interesting pattern. I can look at it with a little bit of distance, a little separation from my ego and a little bit of curiosity and go, hmm, what's that about? And then something I do in the book, there are four fundamental things that are sort of underneath of our, some of our opinions and judgments that can help us really get under the emotion or under the reaction because our emotions are actually physical manifestations of our thinking. And most people don't think of it that way. But if we're angry, there's an internal dialogue thought process, probably unconscious going on, like I've been wronged or this shouldn't have happened in the form of a story, right? And so if we can capture those and then we can deconstruct them, that, that deconstruction is where we can learn, oh, wow, that's a trigger that 
is because of this, right? And so there's four fundamental pieces there that I that I use to help people do that process. Let me just stop there and ask if, if that makes sense or if you have any questions about that. That does make sense. And I have, about a month ago, I started a journaling activity. <laughs> I, mm. I keep my journal just always out and I wanted to see what it would be like to challenge every problem that I have. So every time I get even mildly annoyed or feel mildly right about something, I will go and I will actually write what I call it my small self. What what is my small self telling yeah. me about this? So basically, what is the story that I'm telling? And it just does help for me to vent. And then I try to yeah. challenge it. And usually I just ask, how can I see this from a higher perspective? But learning your four mm-hmm. ar- archetypal questions, I feel like can probably give me even more depth for deconstructing these opinions. So let's get into them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And 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 actually, the, the act of writing them down is really is really great that you're doing that because even that act of getting it out of the, the soup of your brain where it just becomes mush up there, you know, and, and writing it down, it really creates, you know, opens up neural networks in your brain that aren't working when it's just sloshing around up there. So once you write them down, let's say it's a judgment about your husband or a friend or a conversation like that shouldn't have ever happened or he shouldn't treat people that way or whatever it is. The four pieces are desires, concerns, authority, and standards. And we could, if you want, I can just go through those. Or if you want to give me an example, we can use your example to go through them. Oh, let's see. Can I think of an example? I've been doing so well with this that they're actually getting smaller and smaller because I'm doing them in real time. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. Well, that no, no that's really good for people to know because at first these things can seem really scary because most of us have an internal dialogue that isn't very attractive and a lot of curse words and a lot of negative judgments. But the more we practice, the smaller and smaller they become. And the more we can do this kind of reflection and transformation in real time. Um, So it sounds like you've been doing a good job with that. (laughs) I'll bring one from my past up because it was something that really bothered me. And Mm -hmm. hopefully this is a good example, but it was a few, it was about four months into starting Mind Love. And mind you, before that, I was, I worked for a company. I did well, but I just felt purposeless. Mm -hmm. Like I I couldn't find my purpose. So I did a bunch of work to really figure out what would actually be sustainable for me, what would last a long time. Dove into books, took courses, did a goal setting Mm -hmm. course, and I was so fired up to launch Mind Love. And about four months in, I was talking to one of my friends at that time, and I said, I feel like I've just finally found the thing that is meant for me or that I am meant for. And she just looked at me and she said, well, it's still early. (laughs) And I created (laughs) so many stories about this because the story that I was telling myself was- About her comment. Yeah, because- it felt like, yeah, yeah. you know, you're supposed to be one of my best friends. Why would you immediately dampen my flame here? What are you mm-hmm. trying to say? Then I, was, then I started thinking, you know, you're just mad because you haven't found something purposeful. But it, it really, I think I was creating <laughs> judgmental responses in my mind because she, it, it kind of hurt to hear that. And it was one of my yeah. fears that she brought to light. Is that a good example? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, not not all four of the archetypal questions 
are applicable to every situation. So, you know, there are probably one or two here that, that work. Was her, so her comment to you was, well, it's too early to, to tell. That was that what about right? Too, too well, soon to day, say? I might be misremembering, but I'm pretty sure it had that snarky side glance of, well, <laughs> it's still early. Yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. Cool. Yeah. So let's take two of the uh, archetypal things. Let's take uh, desire and authority, right? You were operating on a really a desire to, to, and you found, you sort of found a home, right? To how to find your voice and do work that you loved, right? Yes. And that you were, so you had this great desire sort of, and you were embracing it and you were activating it and all that stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So that's really powerful. And then a friend who you give, voice authority right yes. says what they say and it, it just goes in it just like jumps in and goes into your heart and it hurts but that that notion of the level of power that you gave her voice is and i'm not criticizing that i'm just saying that it's you it's really helpful to understand that dynamic and if you if someone's voice matters to you and they say something like that something snarky it it goes into our system right Right, because it and, feels like you know me better than anyone. So does this hold more truth than if you know somebody I barely know said it in passing? Right. Yeah. Exactly. If someone just said you met someone, you know, I don't know, you're out, and someone says, "Oh, what do you do? You're at the at the spa." And someone says, "What do you do? Uh, oh, I have this podcast and blah blah blah." And they said, "Wow, that that's early, but uh, maybe it'll work." That comment would probably just roll off your shoulders. Right. So, okay. So, so yeah. So you give her a voice, a lot of authority and it hurts. There's one thing we can do there. And this is very useful with a lot of my clients because once we get into the office or, or even at home, you know, there's hierarchy everywhere. There's power struggles everywhere. Well, with our kids, with our husbands and with our bosses, there's power struggles, right? So one good thing we can learn to do is to, when something comes at us, that's sort of negative and and gnarly. The image I like to use is to like to catch it, to catch it, <laughs> catch it in midair. And then if I can say, "Whoa, there's a snarky comment," and catch it, and then I, and with a little bit of distance, because separate, you know, separating out from these things so our ego doesn't take over is important. With a little bit of distance, I can go, "Wow, look, that's an interesting one," and I really like this person. I'm curious to learn more. So I could say, "Well, you know, what, when you say that, do you have some?" concerns or worries about what I'm doing that would be helpful for me to know. Now that would be a very different response than having it go in and you go, what do I do with this? That makes sense? Yes, because you're approaching it with curiosity instead of giving it meaning that it may or may not have even had. May, yes, right, exactly. And when you can say, hey, this is yours, tell me more. That's a curiosity. You're, you're also showing some vulnerability because you're saying, I'm open to hearing what you think. If this is a stupid idea, please tell me. <laughs> right? Oh, I like um, the way you worded that, saying very- that this is yours because that's what happens. We get we get feedback or comments and we take it on as our own, whether or not we agree with them. And then that's what creates the story and the internal conflict, and which yeah, then creates I- external conflict. But if you can, yeah. I, I like the visual of catching it because it's like, Okay, I'm, I, it's not penetrated me yet. And then also looking at it as theirs. And I just feel like that would help me have that. Visuals really help me to create that mm-hmm. distance. Yeah, and give you that space to go, what are they, this is hers. This is her opinion. It's not mine. 
I do give her voice some authority, so I'd like to learn more, right? So that's a very powerful move that gives you voice in a different way. Now, there's two other options, and these are really important. Uh, let's say someone you didn't really care about, or you, actually you have an experience with them, and you don't trust them, and you, and, and you know that they're negative, and you know, anyway, you have a history. The other way, you catch it, and you know, you go, you know what, this belongs to Bob, and screw him, you know? <laughs> I don't give a damn what he thinks. And you just throw it away. You just, you know, just throw it away. You don't let it in. You don't give it back. You just throw it away. Or you throw it to the gods, you know, <laughs> give it to the gods and say, God bless you, Bob. So that's another response. And it's okay to have that in our toolbox to know that we don't have to respond or we don't have to let other, we don't have to accept every, we don't have to give everyone's voice power to affect us. I feel like that's something I'm going to take and teach to my children. Because when you started saying that, the first thing that popped into my head was, I wish I would have done that technique with the kid who called me fat when I was 11 because it sure did cause a whole lot of mental imbalances from there on. (laughs) That's right. Yeah, yeah. And that's what when we're kids, we adopt these opinions of our elders or our parents or our teachers unknowingly because, you know, they, they have power and we give their voice power. And then we end up adopting stories. I think in my book, I talk about my big enough man story. You know, I adopted that from my grandfather, not because I believed it, but because that's what I was being told. A, it's important to know as individuals, you know, are we carrying stories that are harming us? And then B, really interesting to realize where are these stories coming from? And do I want to give them power or not give them power? Right. Now, one last thing about the, the, the four questions. The other thing that might come into play on this is if you enter into a conversation with your friend about tell me what your thoughts are, the, the, one, the question around standards, it, it's, I use that word, but it's a catch-all for everything. It's for our morals. It's for our ethics. It's for what we believe is right and wrong. And it, it, it might be part of the conversation. You say, you know, tell me more what you think. And, you know, like, I'm not sure how this is going to, no, I'm speaking as I'm you, I'm not sure how this is going to unfold, but here's what I want to do and here's how I'm doing it is what I believe. You might find that she has a very different idea standard about how she would approach something like this. She might say, you know, I just wouldn't have done it that way. I might have, I might have started a little differently or I might have been more assertive or less assertive. You know, And so standards are just in every conversation, in every judgment we have. There's an underbelly there of why am I making that, that judgment, you know, based on what belief or what underbelly of, of, of what's right and wrong am I holding that is mostly unconscious. So is this a standard usually around the topic of conversation or is it a standard that we hold the other person to or maybe a conversationalist to? This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard, and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. But then he'll grab my face and call me his sweet little mama. Yes, that's a real thing he says, (laughs) and it will all melt away until I break his banana. I thought I was done with emotionally abusive relationships, but nope. We all carry around stressors, big and small, and when we keep them all bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. 
Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's so hard finding friends and family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. And therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know? It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of yourself. And BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MindLove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash MindLove. I'm constantly sharing with my clients to stop searching in life and instead start aligning. It's true with purpose, with relationships, with higher versions of yourself, and it's also true for hiring. The best way to search is actually just to match with Indeed. Indeed is your one-stop hiring platform with millions of job seekers visiting every month, and their powerful matching engine helps you find quality candidates fast. Plus, Indeed lets you schedule interviews, screen applicants, and message candidates all in one place. But Indeed isn't just about speed. They also deliver quality. According to a recent Indeed survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. I love Indeed because it makes hiring so much easier. I'm all about alignment in all areas of my life, and that includes people I hire to work in my business. So I need a hiring partner that makes it simple to find candidates with the right skills. And that's Indeed. And what's really cool is Indeed's matching engine gets smarter the more you use it, learning from your preferences and over 140 million qualifications. Plus, I love that I can do all my hiring in one place. It's just one less thing to keep track of between all of the other things. So join over 3.5 million businesses worldwide who rely on Indeed to find great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash MindLove. Just go to Indeed.com slash MindLove right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash MindLove. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So is this a standard usually around the topic of conversation or is it a standard that we hold the other person to or maybe a conversationalist to? Both. Okay. Both. So so like one might be, you know, if we're in business, you know, we, we one of the things I work with leaders around is like you need to set standards and you can't just have them in your head. Everyone needs, they need to be explicit and you need to make sure everyone understands them because- because they're slippery slope if you aren't if you aren't explicit about them. But also in a conversation, someone might have a very different standard about what aggressiveness is or assertiveness is, right? Than you do. And so we might, you know, an introvert might find themselves backing off from an extrovert because they're just much more assertive. And in a way, that's sort of an unconscious, unspoken standard about how we are how we enter into conversations. And again, being aware of what it is. No judgment about what your standard is, but better be aware of it because it might trip you up or it might help you. Uh, it can do either. Did that answer that question? I'm not sure. Yeah, it did. I've just had ideas in my mind. I know somebody in my life that when you were talking, I suddenly had an aha moment of her and I'm like, oh, to me, it always seemed like a lot of things were judgmental or she had this way of how things should be, but somehow reframing uh, it as, oh, she has a lot of standards for how people yeah, should yeah. be, how people should engage in conversation. And so these little things will kind of trigger her 
in dynamics that I'm like, why are you concerned with that <laughs> type thing? And so, <laughs> and so sometimes it's not even necessarily what they're talking about. It's that, well, the way she said this, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, well, yep. I didn't even think of to hold somebody to that standard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I, I have a, we have a friend that, uh, that actually is fairly judgmental and pretty high level degree of, un, uh, of not being conscious of it. She might talk about it, but when it, she's in the thick of it, she's not really conscious of it. And the other night I was, she was at our house and I was making a drink and she said, Oh, I'll have one of those. So I made one. And, and her, her first thing words out of her mouth was, Oh, that's not how you make this drink. <laughs> and, and, you know, and it just, you know, because I have this background, because I have this understanding that she carries a lot of standards about what's right and what's wrong, that comment just made me laugh. You know, it didn't make me upset because I made the drink wrong, right? It just made me go, oh, well, there, there, there goes her standard, you know, making a judgment and basically unchecked, you know. So then if I can be light about it, then that really changes my response to her. Uh, so instead of going, oh, what do you know about this drink? You know, this is, I've read five recipes and this is how you make them. What, where are you getting off? And, and then we're in a, then we're in a little, you know, battle versus just, go, well, that's interesting. You say that this is how I learned, ha- have a sip and see what you like, you know, yeah. so things stay light instead of going in the other direction. That does make a lot of sense because it's like, I don't know, ex- I use <laughs> this example with somebody in my family a lot. I end up coaching people through conversations quite often. <laughs> I yeah. feel like you only need yeah. a little bit of a little bit of awareness in conversations to yeah. be able to help a lot of people. <laughs> but I yeah, remember absolutely. she had another one of those moments of like, I just don't understand why she'd do this. And I'm like, she always does that. That's a part of her personality. Why are you expecting it to be different this time? It's like expecting a puffer no. fish not to puff. Just because you don't puff <laughs> doesn't mean it's normal for that <laughs> not to puff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's the root of a lot of our reactions to people. Is what is obvious to us is a term in linguistics called the background of obviousness. And what is so obvious to us, because we've been doing it for 20 years, 30 years, or whatever, or 70 in my case, uh, <laughs> what's obvious to us isn't obvious to the rest of the world. But when they sort of do something that we like, why would you even do it that way? We forget that's just our way. That's just our standard. That's just our way of operating. And and so just being aware of that is a very powerful sort of way to unhook from things that, you know, want to grab you and, and pull you into a, a, a conflict. Well, you mentioned a few minutes ago, basically <laughs> tools to investigate our own storytelling. Do we use the st- yeah. same tools that we use to deconstruct our opinions or are they different? Well, they're the same. The same four questions, I think, are really relevant. But the, I think we have to backtrack a little bit because if we're investigating in a story of ours uh, that is giving us pain, the first question we have to ask is, does this align with reality? And a lot of times people suffer because what they want to have happen, what they desire, isn't happening in the world, right? And so that first question of, is this aligned with reality, is, is basically saying, what's true you know what what fa- what's factual what can i deny and that's that really has to be ground zero when we're investigating our own work doing our own work because the stories we hold and tell and believe are made up of two things 
facts or the truth of reality that we can't deny, at least our shared reality, because we, we only have shared reality because of who we are as human beings. You know, truth and facts is one part of our stories. And the other part is the opinion and the prejudices and the beliefs that we bring that are sort of the, what make up our opinions. So first we have to align with reality and go, well, you know, I can't change that. And so I can fight it or I can accept it. And when we don't accept reality, we don't accept facts. That's sort of a slippery slope toward resentment. You know, it's like, this shouldn't be happening. She shouldn't say that. He shouldn't treat people that way. That, that sort of the resentment is what sort of sneaks in when we have that gap between what we think should be happening and what's actually happening. And then on the other side, the opinion side, that's, it gets a lot. I mean, that's hard enough to, to, to align with reality and accept things we don't like. But on the other side, it's, it's the hard work of deconstructing all that all that comes into that, which is our beliefs and our standards and all that, and really taking the time to ask those four questions. Yeah, I know one of the things that you say is that our opinions are a blessing and a curse in conversation. But I'm curious, do you have an example of when there is a gap between public words and private thoughts, just so people can can recognize it more easily when it's happening to them? Sure. Um, well, let me give you two examples. One would be a business example, right? It plays out in every domain of life, whether work or home. Um, so let's imagine, you know, Tom and Mary are having, a, they're, in, they're on a team, they have a deadline coming up, an important project coming up. And Tom says, well, what do you think, of, what, how do you think we're doing? And Mary says, it's too soon to tell. And Tom says, well, you know, our deadline is only six weeks away. Um, so we probably should, you know, have a look at, you know, where we're at and whether we need to change gears. And Mary says, you know, I think we're in great shape. Um, from my point of view, we, we have plenty of time. And Tom says, well, okay, we'll see. So let me, just, this is like a very short exchange, right? What's really going on is both of them have a private conversation. And, the, and because they don't, because of the gap between their private conversation and their public words, this conversation is goes nowhere. I mean, it, it, it doesn't change anything. There, it doesn't advance the project. It, in fact, probably hurts their relationship. And it doesn't. And neither of them, you know, sort of evolve out of it or transform from it. But what's really going on is Tom is saying, "What do you think about the project?" I'm and his private conversation is, "I think we're in deep shit here. I think we're in trouble, and we're gonna, you know, both of us are gonna suffer if we if we don't reevaluate." And Mary says, "It's too soon to tell." And she's thinking, God, this guy is such a worry wart. You know, we've been over this material, blah, 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 blah. And then he says, he says, well, you know, I can't remember what he said, but we, we should have a look. But what he's thinking is she is so clueless. She doesn't realize how far behind her team is or her part of the project is. So I don't need to go on. But you, get, you start to get the feel of that gap between the public words and the private conversation. Yes, it's like passive aggressiveness, passive aggression at its finest, but without the aggression. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. And it's just, you know, sometimes I call it being terminally polite. You know, we can't really, you know, say what's on our minds. Now, you know, not in the workplace, but at home with husbands and wives or family and friends, similar things happen. Someone will say, what do you, you want to go to the show? And we're thinking, no way, I don't want to go to that show. And we'll say, well, we'll see, or... 
or will say, I don't have time, or will say, sure. But really, what's really going on is I don't want to go to the show, and I have good reasons not to go to the show, but I can't close that gap between my private thoughts and my public conversation. And so the work that I think we can do, work I know we can do, is, and this was a, an exercise that um, came out of, I think, the Harvard Education School many years ago, was to write down on a piece of paper, what we say, the conversation on the right side of the piece of paper, he said, she said, and the left, go back and write what we were thinking and feeling during the whole conversation, while they were talking and while we were talking. And then if we just pick one or two of the private conversations that, and that are hot, that are have a lot of emotion or a lot of judgment behind them, if you take that, like she doesn't have a clue what's going on, and then you try to deconstruct that with your... What are your desires? What are your concerns? What's the power issue here? What are the standards, right? And you deconstruct that. I'll guarantee you that Tom would find two or three ways that he could transform his conversation because his concerns are legitimate. He just is not talking about them because he hasn't uh, 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 surfaced or made them conscious. His desires, they probably share their desires. Power is probably a big issue. They're colleagues, but he would probably discover that that she has he gives her voice a lot of power and he's afraid of her voice or some dynamic like that. And then standards would be very clear that, oh, we just we're measuring our success differently and we can talk about that. So if he would take those few minutes to sort of sort of like you know um, investigate his private thoughts, he I'll guarantee you he'd come up with a way to transform that conversation that would uh, bring them closer together and probably allow them to see things, see their differences and then say, oh, maybe we should, maybe we should reevaluate, maybe we should change gears or, or whatever. Does that connect the dots? It's so helpful because what I'm always saying is we always think that we know ourselves and what we're thinking and what our deep desires are, but I think we rarely do because right. we don't bring them to the surface. And all we know is right. we're now irritated by this conversation and right. we can feel ourselves being triggered. We feel our body being tense. We're looking down upon the other person. But yeah. once we actually can put pen to paper or however you like to spend time to bring awareness. Mm -hmm. I like to write things down, but I can also do it mm -hmm. just like sitting in meditation and sure. allowing things yeah, to come yeah. up. Although I feel like yeah. I don't grasp it quite as well. It's, it's really helpful for me to be able to look at it. It's like, it's, it's a new perspective yeah. that way. And then That's you can right, see, yeah. and it's like, Oh, this is why I, I bristled up right here. Oh, this is what I'm actually thinking about. And then when you see it, you can actually form the words around it in order to say it in a kinder or more effective way than just like, oh, I hate this guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, oh, she's so stupid. I can't believe she can't see the writing on the wall. But it's like, wow, I think maybe maybe we're looking at this differently. Let's compare how we're measuring, you know, let's compare how we're looking at where our data is today versus where it was two weeks ago or whatever that, you know, however you want to do that. But yeah, it, it, it allows us to sort of enter this conversation without that emotional cringe that locks us down. And th that's a, for me, these, these conversational shifts and these conversational patterns that we're trying to change 
really is about can we enter conversations with an open hand, which means I have an opinion, and I'm not asking people to give it up, but I have an opinion, but I can enter with an open hand and say, here's why I'm thinking the way I'm thinking. Here's what I'm, here's what I want. Here are my desires. Here's my concerns. Here are my standards, how I'm, how I'm thinking about what is right here or what good would look like is, you know, the variables all over the place. And then I'm, because I have an open hand, I'm being vulnerable. And it's very much sort of modeling that vulnerability that also softens other people. And that's a very different way to enter than if you are entering with a closed hand, which is a fist. We say, here's my opinion. And then you say, no, here's my opinion. And we have, we're going fist to fist and we get nowhere. In fact, we just end up in, in, you know, in conflict. So I, I just, I love that visual of open versus closed, which is helpful to remember. I feel like I just energetically went and healed a bunch of conversations I've had in the last two years with that open hand <laughs> approach because I can see there, there's been a lot of heated conversations between people, between families in the last mm. couple of years yep. because there's been so much division, whether it's politics or medical decisions or whatever it is. And right. I can see how both people in any conversation I've been a part of or I've witnessed or, you know, it's just on YouTube even. It's like two people coming yeah. in close fist. And it's so frustrating because you can see how neither party is actually hearing what the other is saying. And so even just mm -hmm. witnessing people having debates, it's hard to find the truth because everyone that's watching is attaching to whoever their side is versus it's right. like, well, guy A just said this really important point that guy B glossed right over because of the way he said it and saying like, I don't know, you're ruining society or you're the reason that everyone's sick or whatever it is. And it's like, it's like, well, if, yeah, what if yeah. we did come it together and instead of having a goal to prove our points, because where does that ever get us? We came in and we decided to learn from one another. And that doesn't mean we're going to change our opinion, but it will at least open ourselves up to seeing who we are now deeming an opponent or an adversary in a new light. And it's right. just, oh, it's another person trying to protect themselves. Or it's another person that just their life experiences have created different concerns than mine. But both of us mm -hmm. just want to end up healthy, happy, and free. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's what happens, you know, our ego and our identities get, get, get go into lockdown mode, you know, because we don't have that awareness to to uh, not be <laughs> overtaken by them, you know. It's hard to open our hand, but once we do that practice, even just just practice little ways of going, well, here I have a concern. Can we talk about that? Just practice small ways of just changing the conversation and changing the dynamic. dynamic. And I, I don't want to leave out that really important critical piece of can you find some facts that we can agree on? <laughs> because we're, we're really in dangerous territory right now where facts, the, the idea of even alternative facts is like crazy, right? Because all of our society, all of our culture, all of our governments, all of our you know, uh, institutions, they, the ground zero base is because of, we're humans and we share our senses and we see the way we do and hear the way we do and, and speak the way we do. That we we that's all based on a fundamental understanding that a chair is a chair and a sky is a sky and a storm is a storm. That is so fundamental that, and then sometimes that's 
where we can go with the conversation. Well, what can we agree on? What are a few things we can agree on? So that's a big piece that we forget about also. It's so difficult to find those agreement points, especially in the day and age we're living now where it's like, oh, this is the narrative that's being pushed. Let's just go change Wikipedia or change the definition. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. reality is yeah. so muddled. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, when, we, when we're talking about reality and objective truth, it has to be unarguable. We can't say this is a fact and then have two people arguing about whether it's a fact or not. If we're arguing about it with reason, right, then we're not talking about fact. Then we're not talking about truth and reality. We're, we're playing games with it. So it's a slippery slope, but it's a good thing to remember. There was an experiment done in Sweden, I think, 20 years ago. They were, trying to, they were early on trying to deal with the climate change. And um, a fellow, I can't remember his name, he, he realized how, my, how many scientists disagreed. And there were so many points of view and disagreements. And after a long period of listening and, and interviewing, he came up with a way of saying, well, what are, can we find four things that we 75 or 100 scientists agree on? And actually, he, fa- he succeeded. And it, it became a, a, a program in Sweden. I think it was called Next Step. It became a program in Sweden where they, they came up with four or five things that they all agreed on and started a whole new sort of way of approaching environmental issues around manufacturing and, uh, and recyclable uh, items and stuff like that. So it's very doable. And it just remi- it's just that reminder. There's just both sides of the conversation. There's reality and then there's our opinion. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I had yeah. A, an, a wake-up call a couple of years ago because I was just so triggered by everything going on in the world. And I this was actually about in 2016 <laughs> when an election yeah. was happening. I felt very yeah. firm in my ways. I was surrounded by people who thought like me. And I just could not understand. I'm like, there's no way that 50% of this country is evil or s- completely stupid, right? Like, stupid. like yeah, why yeah. can we not... I don't like feeling like I'm immediately losing respect for half the population. I don't like feeling like people are stupid. I don't feel like that honors yeah. the soul of a person. And so I made it a goal to really spend time understanding the other side. And I wish I had some of these tools, but... I did walk mm-hmm. away with a new understanding that what I thought the other side believed was not nearly what they believe. It's just we so often have the same goal. We just have different ways of getting there. Or we don't trust yeah. the people that are pushing the solution, which I think right. I ended up is what I ended up finding out in most cases of the things I was so firm on. I'm like, oh, so you don't think this. You just don't necessarily trust the solution that's being given. And so, yes, I'm looking at this problem. I'm like, clearly it's a problem. Everyone has to see that this is a problem. So why aren't we all for this? And it's like, oh, there's a lot of holes in the solution, but the only thing that's being talked about is the big problem when we have to do something. And so no one's really questioning the solution. (laughs) Yeah, the solution or what, yeah, what can we agree on here? Yeah. One thing I want to mention before we run out of time is, is four conversations, which are the fundamental structure of the book. There's the stories and then there's collaborative conversations, creative conversations, and commitment conversations. What's interesting is we love our stories and we love the commitment conversation because it's the action conversation. Okay, what are we deciding? What's the plan? Who's doing what by when? We, we love those two. And what happens is, and I call it the conversational bypass, because we like those two, the two middle conversations, which are actually the juiciest, our ability to get together and collaborate, share different perspectives and learn from each other. 
and the creative conversation where we can just throw up possibilities and go, well, here's another way to solve this problem. Oh, wow. I never thought about that myself, but you and I can come, come together and all of a sudden new ideas bubble up. So it's for me, this notion of jumping from here's my story to here's a solution is, is a bypass. And we have to consciously and purposefully say, let's have these other two conversations, which is where we can really share differing views, different standards, different desires and concerns. And, and, and out of that, a good collaborative conversation, my experience is that I don't create the solution. Solutions bubble up in our minds and our collective minds because we've taken the time to, to do the mutual sharing piece. And so I love leaving listeners with something to focus on. And I will mention, we went super deep into one of these types of conversations, <laughs> but there's so much to learn about the other three types, as you mentioned. And so for listeners that are interested in that, there's a whole book about it. But I'm curious, if you were to leave listeners with one action item to really focus on and ground what we learned today into reality for them, what would be their mm -hmm. homework per se? Here's the irony. Early I said, earlier I said we are the common denominator of every conversation, right? And that's true, but that doesn't mean that we we need to be center of attention. That it, it's all about us, right? But the, the irony is, if we don't look inside, we can't change what we do on the outside. And so I'd say a very good first step is beginning to look at what are your patterns around conversations. You know, with your friends, with your partners, with your work colleagues, with your bosses, with your direct reports. What are your particular patterns that you can begin to recognize? And you don't have to change the whole, you don't have to like, you know, take, take them all, but pick a few that sort of maybe are like, hmm, that's sort of hairy for me. I sort of get triggered around that. Just become a really good observer of how that plays out and then take some time to deconstruct that a little bit. I believe that the reason that the stories are the, so paramount in the book and the, and the first conversation is we have to do our own work before we can change how we listen or how we interact with others. And oftentimes we're ready to read a book on listening or, or making better decisions. But if we don't look at our own stories that hold us back or our own behaviors and reactions that hold us back, um, we won't have much luck changing our other patterns. I will say that the first like three years that I really started diving into self-development work. Every time I'd read a book, mm -hmm. I'd think, oh, mm -hmm. I need to give this chapter to my mom or I need to give this chapter to my <laughs> ex-boyfriend. <laughs> it was so much easier to be like, this is why my life is hell, you people. But uh, yeah, I, things didn't really start changing until I started accepting, oh, what is my part in this? And yeah. if I am expecting yeah. other people to change, then I really am giving all of my power away. And so thank you so much for giving yeah. us such practical, actionable tools to have better conversations because it's so needed, especially after the last few years. And so for listeners that are interested yeah. in learning more about you and finding your book, where's the best place for them to connect? So uh, I, had, I am on Instagram and, and I am on uh, LinkedIn and my website is chuckwisner.com. Uh, the book is available for pre-order on online at Amazon or Barnes and Noble or wherever you buy your books. Yeah. And, you know, reach out or, or send me a, a heads up about the conversation. I'm really anxious to get this material out in the world and, and work with people around it. 
All of the links that we mentioned in this episode will be at mindlove.com slash 261, including a link to Chuck's book. Your challenge for this week is to use the four archetypal questions to deconstruct your own opinion or really the story that you're telling yourself when you're telling a story or having a conversation. And yeah, it's kind of hard to do in the moment, especially if this is new for you. However, if you find yourself in a conversation or reflecting on a conversation, because you know we all do that. How many times are you in the shower and you're just replaying, I wish I would have said this or that? (laughs) Well, instead of all of those I wishes, see if you can deconstruct the conversation a little bit. Desires, concerns, authority, and standards. So what did you really want from your side of the conversation? Can you figure out what the other person wants? What are their concerns that are coming up? What about the authority? Is there a power structure there? Does one person feel like they hold more power than the other person? And then standards. What comes up around, that's not how this person should say this, or this person should have more respect. What shoulds are you holding people to? What standards are you holding them to? This is just a really good exercise to get to know yourself, your own triggers, your language, the other person's way of communicating. And then it starts to happen unconsciously where you will just be able to pick those things up. Like, oh, there's an underlying concern here and that's why this person's getting tense. Or, oh, this person feels a little intimidated by me because of my position of authority or vice versa. Or whatever comes up with all of these things. It's just a really good practice. This is also a really good journaling activity. So I have been committing to journaling every single day and I just sort of follow what my heart wants, what I need in that moment. A lot of times it'll almost be like a prayer to spirit, a request on how I wanna show up that day. Sometimes it'll be mulling over (laughs) what's bugging me. Like this is what my small self thinks. Can I see this from a higher perspective and then let it flow? But lately I've been using some of these challenges and thinking, how can I really ground this information into my being, my knowledge, my awareness? And so this is a really good journaling exercise. If you are a daily journaler where you're like, what can I work on today? Let's try something new and take a recent conversation, a recent argument, or even a conversation that's coming up and you can plan it ahead of time. Not scripting it out, of course, but maybe you can figure out where you're coming from, write down your desires, concerns, any authority things that need to be brought up and standards that you have for a conversation so that you can be aware of yourself more when you do come to the table for this. And let me know how it goes. Reach out to me on Instagram at mindlovemelissa. If you found this episode helpful, maybe send it to somebody. Maybe send it to someone who you wanna have a really good conversation with or take a screenshot and share it on social media and tag Mind Love Melissa and Mind Love Podcast. You can even write a blurb on why it's helpful if you want karma points and to earn my love. (laughs) Just kidding, I love you anyways. But I mean, my love can be bought, let's be real. You can also support the show by joining Mind Love Premium at mindlove.com slash premium where you get extra episodes, ad-free listening, early release, meditations. It's a whole lot of fun. Mindlove.com slash premium. And you can also support by supporting any of my amazing sponsors. And all of those are listed at mindlove.com slash sponsors. And that's all for today. So thanks for giving your mind a little love today and I'll see you next time. 
Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week. 